How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. Frank, how are you? Uh, I'm good. I uh, survived the trade deadline. I, I don't think it was that hard to survive, survive the trade deadline this year, but um, <laughs> I don't know. Were, were you let down by the trade deadline? I feel like that was a lot of what I saw on Twitter today was people uh, complaining about, you know, sort of the all bark no bite trade uh trade deadline this year but i think maybe people just kind of got spoiled with stuff happening in advance with boogie especially uh and then maybe uh people then getting a little carried away thinking that that uh you know the likes of paul jordan or, or jamie butler might get moved which obviously didn't happen yeah i think the big thing was that the boogie trade already happened like that's a huge monstrous trade um so that already occurred And then there was more trades yesterday, and we kind of talked about last night how there was already trades happening. So um, I think for it to be a truly great trade deadline, one of the the Celtics would have had to make a move, and then 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 you probably would have had a a, a pretty great trade deadline because you had all of the the more complimentary moves that go along with any trade deadline and that would have kind of pushed it over the top but i don't know the boogie cousins trade was awesome and i got two awesome days of twitter activity out of it so i I don't really have any complaints so uh the massive news out of milwaukee is the end and i i don't know this could be an emotional podcast uh the end of the what was it three weeks of Roy Hibbert. Is that what it ended up being? Three weeks of Roy Hibbert in Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh, zero, zero minutes. Uh, you got to have one, uh, what one media availability with him where he was kind of like annoyed that you were asking him questions. I think if I remember correctly. Yeah. He, he did he did not love talking with me. Um, which is fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, since I, since I got back from the practice center, I mean, I've just been drinking cause this is, I mean, just a brutal trade deadline, you know, to go through and see a guy that you've you've seen have so many special moments in Bucks warmups that you just how do you get over the Bucks making a move like this? Yeah, it's tough, but uh, as we as we <laughs> foreshadowed yesterday, uh, you said basically the the only deal that you were confident in happening was was Roy Hibbert being traded to a team that was under the salary floor. And of course, that is exactly what happened. He bang, gets bang. traded to the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> he gets sent it for, traded to the Denver Nuggets for what is it? Technically, a 2019 top 55 protected pick. I think was the yes. uh, the official detail. And um, top 55 essentially hey, means just wait a second. Jokic is pretty darn good. 
Uh, That's true. So, this gives time for the Rockets or for the Nuggets <laughs> to become contenders. So just give them two years. Like they could, they could have something special. Get themselves into an e- uh, Western Conference Finals. Like you know, then all of a sudden you get yourself a second rounder. Yeah, and for for those uh, you know who, who maybe don't live and breathe this kind of random minutia like like we do, top fifty five is is code for we had to involve some kind of asset being shipped <laughs> the other way. So we picked something that. Uh, will have little value and probably won't actually convey at all. So if the Nuggets are not uh, in, I guess the you know the the bottom five of the uh, NBA draft in 2019 of the second round, this pick will will presumably, uh, from what we understand, not convey at all. So uh, essentially, the Bucks got what. Go ahead. I was gonna say quick shout out to our listeners that tweeted at me quickly after. Uh, I think Windhorse said extreme protections or something on it, and then someone sent me one through fifty nine protected because that was the joke we made last night that you know this is going to be one through fifty nine protected, and I mean I mean it wasn't one through fifty nine, but it was damn close. <laughs> um, so shout out to all of our listeners that were quick on the Twitter fingers there and got that joke off because it was a good one. Yeah, and hey, the the good news is that the Bucks got as much for Roy Hibbert as they did Jared Dudley and Zaza Pachulia. Oh, the bad news Frank. is they got nothing for Zaza Frank. Pachulia and Jared oh, Dudley. So, man. Um, yeah, Oof. I know why why uh, why why scratch at those scabs, but <laughs> um, but yeah, again, effectively, this I think the final tally, I think the number I saw uh, was this saves the Bucks one point four million. Uh, in terms of just the remainder of the salary that would have been owed to Hibbert this year, uh, the Nuggets will gladly pay the 1.4 million because it gets them five million closer to the cap floor, and you know effectively it's a 3.6 million dollar savings for them. Um, so both teams come away happy with that. Um, Frank and there, um, there was a lot of talk of TPEs after, and uh, yeah. there was. I, one, I was excited because I'm nerdy and enjoy these type of things that TPEs were getting thrown around so recklessly and so many people were using them. But for the kind of people that might not understand what a TPE is or why this move may have some significance, um, explain to us what a TPE is and how the Bucks got a TPE and what they can do with said TPE. Yeah, so a, a TPE is a traded player exception. And Effectively, what this means is so a lot of the, there are a lot of this might be the most misunderstood semi common thing that happened you know semi common aspect of the collective bargaining agreement I would say um, you know I think probably the the first thing that people uh, confuse which is a little bit of a technicality is that teams trade trade exceptions from one to another and that's actually not what happens a lot of times one team with a trade exception will make a move and it'll create a trade exception for the other team. But effectively, trade exceptions are, we, we say they're generated, because basically a trade exception happens when a team over the cap sends salary out and then doesn't take at least that amount back. So the Bucks actually created trade exceptions when they did the Miles Plumley deal. They created trade exceptions when they made the Tyler Ennis-Michael Beasley deal. Um, and again, you never really hear about those because they're, they were very small trade exceptions. Um, but... Still, there there are small amounts of small amounts of flexibility. Um, the Bucks got a 1.7 million dollar trade exception in the Ennis uh, uh, Michael Beasley deal. They got uh, an 815 thousand dollar exception in the Michael Carter Williams Tony Snell deal, and they got a 1.15 million dollar trade exception in the Miles Plumlee deal. Here they get a five million dollar trade exception. And if you're wondering what the hell that means, so Roy Hibbert 
They sent $5 million out in salary. They get back zero. And so effectively, it's like a credit base. It's like a store credit. Think of it that way. Like it's not cash. You can't go and spend it on like, you know, a free agent this summer. Um, but if a team say, like, look, look at the example this summer of when Mike Dunleavy was on the Bulls, the, the Chicago Bulls needed to clear salary cap room. The Cleveland Cavaliers had some trade, had a trade exception that was larger than Mike Dunleavy's salary. So the Bulls said, hey, we want to get rid of Mike Dunleavy to clear salary. Cavs said, hey, that's great. We ended up shipping some salary out before we got this trade exception. Ship us Mike Dunleavy. We can take him for effectively free. And we don't have to send salary back, which when you're over the cap, of course, you know, teams have this 150% matching thing that they can't, um, that they have to sort of abide by, right? So you can't, you know, take back um, 200%, for, for example, of, of the salary you send out. Normally, you can't take back salary without sending some out. But if you have a trade exception, you can. So that's kind of the the, the basics of what this is. Um, and I had a tweet this afternoon where I said, basically, because the Bucks didn't uh, basically, you know, sell off any of their other assets. So they didn't send John Henson or Toladovich or Delvadova, uh, anybody with a long-term deal. They didn't send anybody out for expiring contracts. So effectively, they didn't really do anything this summer to kind of free up cap room. Um, and so we're sort of in the same situation where Greg Monroe can can opt out, um, but the Bucks still won't really effectively have salary cap space. And the interesting thing about that is that you know, we, we hear people talk about the mid-level exception. So when you don't have cap space, you have the mid-level exception, this $8.4 million exception you can go to use on free agents. Well, trade exceptions are kind of similar in that they count actually against your salary cap. So if the Bucks had, for instance, let's say the Bucks had no, no guys under contract for next season. They have a salary cap of zero effectively going into the summer. I'm being extreme here, obviously. So basically their their cap number going into the summer would be cap holds for anybody who was a free agent you know and again that's based off of previous salaries um and then it would be the mid-level exception it would be the biannual exception which is 3.3 million dollars next year it would be any first round picks they have so i think this year like a mid first round pick probably be about two million dollars and then it would be all these trade exceptions would also technically count against their cap so if you want to maximize your cap space, you basically have to tell the NBA, we don't want those anymore. Get rid of all our trade exceptions. We're going to take our cap space. But if you are near the salary cap or over the salary cap, those trade exceptions can be valuable because, again, you can take guys in without having to, to ship any money out. So that is my long-winded explanation. <laughs> the bottom line, it, it's not a huge deal. You know, It's not like a something that is going to let you uh, go acquire a star player, for instance, because again, a $5 million trade exception and the three other ones they have, the, the bucks are, are all very small. Um, you cannot add them together. So that's an important thing to keep in mind. Um, so they're kind of limitations on how useful those can be. But if you're trading like draft picks, for instance, like if the bucks wanted to trade their first round pick for a guy on a rookie contract, who's making like $4 million, they could actually do that pretty easily because they wouldn't have to send back uh, or sorry, they, they, they can basically take a, a, a rookie contract in that's worth $4 million, for instance, and they wouldn't have to send money out because they have this trade exception. So I don't know. Is that, is, did that make any sense, Eric? I'm, I'm trying to like figure out if I've just confused people more or if I maybe added a little bit of clarity. I think the bottom line, not a huge deal, but you know, for a guy that you didn't want and who you didn't want to pay, 
not bad to get a trade exception out of it. Um, I guess the thing I'd want to clarify here is, so say the Bucks have $10 million in cap room this offseason, and people are thinking, okay, there's five extra million there, so they actually have $15 million, and that's not correct, right? So they still have 10 so they could sign someone up to 10 but then next year, that trade exception lasts for a year. So next year, if after they are capped out and they see someone that another team is trying to trade away that they don't want anymore, that they just in the same way that they want someone to take and not give them a player back, the Bucks could take a player of that same kind of price. So of about $5 million, they could take a player in. Correct. Yeah. So that's the thing. If you if you're saying that the Bucks are gonna that they can clear ten million dollars in cap room because they're gonna lose Greg Monroe and they're gonna buy out Spencer Haas and they're gonna maximize their cap space, implicit in that is that you're renouncing the trade exceptions you have as well as the mid level exception and the biannual exception. So, you know, if if let's say you could get to ten million in cap space if you did that, you would have ten million plus there is a room exception, which is basically a sort of a mid-level exception for teams that opt to renounce all their other exceptions and have cap space. And that's worth $4.3 million next year. So you can have 10 plus 4.3, which can't be aggregated into a you know 14.3. Or you could basically say, you know what? We're going to keep all those exceptions. We're going to have our $8.4 million uh, mid-level exception, the regular non-taxpayer mid-level exception. We're going to have the $3.3 million biannual exception, which can be used for up to a two-year deal starting at $3.3 million. And we're going to ha- keep all of our trade exceptions, including the $5 million one, including the $1.7 million one, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the, the trade exceptions are only good for a year. So the one that they got generated today is good basically until next year's trade deadline. Um, the one that they got from the Beasley Ennis deal is good until whatever it was. Was it September that they did that deal? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. So so effectively it's sort of like, you know, again, do you want that absolute biggest chunk of money you can use by maximizing your cap space, which, you know, based on where the bucks stand right now, given that they didn't just clear any other bigger contracts for next year, probably is very marginally above the mid level. Um, or do you want kind of a bunch of slightly smaller pieces? And, you know, again, I, I tweeted today I would expect that they'd probably operate over the cap based on where they are right now. Um but you know, effectively, that gives them a fair bit of flexibility. Uh, but again, you're not gonna, you know, based on where they are right now, you're not gonna use that to be able to go out and get a twenty million dollar player. So, um, so we'll see. There, you know, you can always trade John Henson, Toledovich, Delavadova. You can trade those guys into, you know, teams with cap space this summer or something like that, and create more cap room. But um, right now, it does seem like the Bucks are not going to be a huge player in free agency, but they do have some flexibility. Let's move on to, I guess, what we think this says about the Bucks going forward. What only trading away Roy Hibbert, or whatever, Roy Hibbert's contract, however you want to look at it, only trading away, what does that mean about this year's Milwaukee Bucks? And I know I saw some people that were, one, kind of disappointed that that was the only move they made, in two, kind of disappointed that they didn't pick a direction, that there wasn't really like, okay, they're making a clear playoff push here, or they're making it clear that, all right, we're tanking and we want to get ourselves in the lottery. And and I guess part of me wonders is, 
if you would have made one of those moves in either direction, how confident would you have been in either a playoff push or this team tanking? Because this team was terrible before winning the final three games of of the All-Star, like before the All-Star break. Like there was the three-game winning streak, but before that they had lost 12 of 14. So they were terrible. So you you honestly may not need to make any moves to be tanking. Like those last three games, two of them were against teams that aren't great. So they might just be bad. <laughs> like that that's very well could be the truth. Or Chris Middleton coming back and Chris Middleton maybe being more of an on-court uh, positive than Jabari Parker at this point in Jabari Parker's career. Maybe that means they can make the playoff push and maybe they are good. But uh, I, that was the thing I struggled with was I, I saw some people that said, oh man, they should have trade off this part and this part and got some more cap flexibility and really committed to this tank or, oh, they should have tried to move someone to to get a piece that maybe works a little bit better or is a little bit more talented. And part of me just wondered how confident would you have been in either of those moves and picking either of those directions? Because I don't think they know what they are right now. Yeah. I mean, we, we talked about this, I think right after Jabari went down, but you know, if you want to, you know, hit the tank button, um, Really, there are only a couple things I would say you would do uh, on that front, and the most obvious one would be to give away Greg Monroe for nothing, mm-hmm. um, which you would think you could do that. But again, as you mentioned the other night, you know the fact that his salary is so big, and you, you know presumably the Bucks don't want to obviously take back long-term salary, uh, dead salary for for Greg Monroe, a guy who obviously uh, is a good player, and you know who knows? I I don't know how much keeping Greg Monroe is reflective of, you know, does that mean they might be interested in re-signing him? We've talked about potentially that making more sense with Jabari's uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe it kind of alludes to that. You know, we, we had the question last night about, you know, well, if you think Greg Monroe is going to leave, why wouldn't you try to get something for him? Again, it's harder to get something for a guy if every team thinks he might leave. Um, But also maybe you are less interested in dealing him. If you think there's a chance that uh, he might stay and that's his, his, his ambiguity is just as difficult. Like you don't know if, because for some teams that'd be terrifying if he opts in for, what is it? Just over 18 next year. Like that's just under, but yeah, 18. But so about 18, that's terrifying for someone that is just looking for kind, kind of something to get them over the hump and they traded you expirings to get him uh, because he's going to be a more productive player than whatever that 17 million was expiring. Like his ambi- his ambiguity is terrifying for a team. Like I, I wouldn't want to be a team that kind of takes on that risk because all of a sudden he decides, you know what, I'm going to opt in. I like this place. I, I like this team. Maybe I'm in the playoff hunt, whatever it may be. He opts in all of a sudden you're screwed. Um, so I, I think that that's part of it, and and I mean, look at the market for bigs. The today the Nerlens Noel goes for essentially nothing, and I know it's the same thing with Cousin. There's some character issues there, etc. But man, it, if that's all Nerlens Noel could get, if that was all Boogie Cousins could get, like, is there much of a market for Greg Monroe? I don't know. Yeah, probably not. And again, it's, it's hard. But I think if you wanted to like intentionally sort of like hurt the team in order to optimize your lottery position, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would have been the most obvious one. You know, I don't think, you know, trading Delhi or Henson, who doesn't really play right now anyway, um, you know, those guys, that, that's not really going to affect the team so much. 
Um, and so beyond trading Moose, uh, who's really the only guy who's probably on the block that would really have a big effect on winning and losing, um, you know, how uh, careful are you going to be with Chris Middleton? You know, if he's on a minutes restriction the rest of the year for 20 minutes, that probably costs you maybe a game or two here or there. Um, you're not going to bench Giannis or something like that. Uh, and so I don't know. I mean, I think you, you kind of just let it ride a bit. And we've talked about certainly playing like Rashad Vaughn more minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, that might hurt you in the short term to some extent. Um, but again, it's not like you're benching, um, you know, unless you're benching Chris Middleton for Rashad Vaughn, which would probably be more Jason Terry getting benched for, for Rashad Vaughn. Yeah. I don't know if that is a massive negative um, as much as Vaughn has been wildly inconsistent to, to put it charitably. Um, and other than that, I mean, playing Thon maker, does playing Thon maker actually hurt you at this point? I mean, we all want to see it. And part of the reason why I want to see it is because I, I actually think Thon maker kind of is helping, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. certainly, yeah. certainly the plus minus stats don't suggest that Thon maker is hurting you. Um, and obviously there's a positive there for, for, you know, building, uh, the, uh, a roster long term and, and figuring out what you have with with a guy like him getting him reps. So, um, so I don't know. I mean, this team. I think the the biggest question from a you know are they are they tanking or are they going for the playoffs? Is you know can Jason Kidd get them to play defense with any regularity whatsoever, or um, you know is a big chunk of this team going to kind of throw in the towel and um, are they going to go down the toilet because of it? Right and um, you know, that, that's not a, a normal way you think of, of tanking. Um, but it's, I think, certainly after what we've seen over the past month, I'd, I'd say it's certainly in play. But um, it will certainly be interesting to see kind of this, these first few games back. Um, Bucks win a few games going into the break. Do guys kind of recharge, come back um, ready to play better basketball? Or, um, you know, maybe you lose whatever momentum you had and you you backslide into uh, the way they were looking for, for most of the past month. Yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to watch because, uh, like you said, there I think there's a number of guys on this roster that really want the playoffs. Like Greg Monroe has never been to the playoffs. Giannis hasn't got to be the man in the playoffs, and that dude hates losing. Like Chris Middleton has had playoff experience, but you'd think he'd want a little bit more. Like there's there's a number of guys on this roster that would certainly want that playoff experience, but maybe they're just bad, <laughs> and maybe they've essentially given up on the defensive scheme and kind of given up on this season. And maybe maybe that'll be what happens. I don't know. It's gonna be, um, I don't know. It, it it's tough to say anything definite with this team because, like I said, I they were. They were really bad for a good long stretch there. So to see them bounce back and all of a sudden be a good team would be uh, somewhat shocking to me. Luckily, the rest of the Eastern Conference, or at least the bottom portion of the Eastern Conference, is a mess. So uh, they could go either way, but I'm not sure which way they'll go. Um, other trade deadline thoughts? Any, any? I don't even know. You can you can go with wherever you want with that, Frank. Because Bucks wise, I think they pretty much did what we were thinking was going to be done. Um, so I- any other trade deadline thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it, dovetailing with the discussion about the Bucks potentially here making a playoff push, I mean, the Chicago Bulls, ladies and gentlemen, um, <laughs> this deal to acquire campaign um, from Oklahoma City along with uh, Jeffrey Laverne and Anthony Morrow uh, in exchange for Dougie McBuckets uh, and Taj Gibson. Uh, and I think 
was there a second round pick? I don't even remember who, which which direction the second round pick was going. But bottom line, I mean, you know, I mean, we've seen enough of the Bulls. Uh, I'm I'm a huge Taj Gibson fan. I think he's you know a guy that was a really setting influence them. I mean, he's a guy that you know is a heart and soul type guy. Um, McDermott obviously far more inconsistent, but on a team that was starved for shooting, obviously he was one of the rare guys who, who provided some floor stretching. Um, you know, they do get Anthony Morrow in the deal, but you know, let's be honest, Morrow isn't a guy who's been able to really pin down uh, regular rotation minutes really anywhere. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, this, I keep expecting this Bulls team to completely fall apart. Um, they kind of, you know, hold it together vaguely uh, and they're still seventh in the East. So uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens, but you know, certainly I think if you're, um, a Bucks fan really fired up to to see this team make a playoff run. Uh, seeing what the rest of uh, you know some of these Eastern teams did uh, in terms of either inactivity or, in the case of the Bulls, seemingly actively harming themselves. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm uh, I, I don't know. I mean I I don't know personally. I was not a big Cameron Payne fan going into that draft. Um, I don't I don't I just don't know like what he does that's like special. He he kind of doesn't draw free throws. He's not a great three-point shooter. He's not particularly good athletically. I don't know. He's had I, one dunk in his NBA career. I learned that today. Um, yes, I saw some salty, some salty Bulls fans uh, tweeting that one out. But uh, <coughs> the, the Bulls are just totally fascinating to me right now because I, I don't know what they're doing. Like, then they hold this press conference and Garpacks get up there and trash Thibodeau for making them pick McDermott quote-unquote when pretty much the exact opposite of that was what was reported around draft time and they're just in such disarray and you just read what's going on there you read press conference quotes and you think man how how has this franchise turned into such a mess and then, like you said, you trade away Taj Gibson, a guy who's been there his whole career, a guy who's, man, just, like you said, the heart and soul of that team. And that that can't be sending a good message uh, to the locker room. So, yeah, if you're a Bucks fan looking for hope and optimism regarding a playoff run, well, there, there's plenty of it just, just 90 minutes to yourself in Chicago because I, I don't know what is going on there. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh... Also interesting. I mean, I think Philly had had kind of a roller coaster day. I think when the news first broke that they dealt Nerlens Noel to the Dallas Mavericks for uh, Andrew Bogut, Justin Anderson, and a conditional first round pick. I'm sure you know many uh, Sixers fans were thinking, "Oh, conditional first round pick. Well, maybe it's you know top five protected or something like that." And of course, with Dallas, I think they're what are they top half of the lottery? I think they're like sixth in the lottery or something yeah. like that. Um, the production ends up being top 18 protection this year, and then it converts to two second rounders after that. Um, so suddenly that deal probably is far less exciting given that Nerlens Noel is obviously a guy that, you know, they gave up, uh, uh, you know, Drew Holiday for many years ago and they, uh, he was sort of the start of the process and, um, you know, was a guy that showed a lot of talent, especially defensively, but just never really found, between injuries and now over the past year, just sort of the logjam of big men that they had. I think he played, what, eight minutes total with Joel Embiid yep. in the three years that the two of them worked together on the roster. Um, kind of a, you know, 
womp womp ending to Norland's Noel's time uh, in Philly. And probably the toughest part about this is, you know, it sounded like they might have been close to dealing Jaleel Okafor for some kind of package involving a first-round pick a week ago. I mean, they had even you know taken him off a plane, and he, Okafor wasn't playing, <laughs> and there was all this talk that he was getting ready to be shipped out. And then, lo and behold, a week later, a guy that you know is a much more marketable asset in the modern NBA, in Nerlens Noel, gets shipped out for basically Justin Anderson and a couple second-round picks, and Jaleel Okafor is still a member of the Philadelphia 76ers. So I think probably a very mixed emotions day for uh for philly they did get another couple second rounders uh, i think it was two second rounders for uh ursan Ilyasova, who got traded for the fifth time in what 20 months a year and a half yeah. or something like that it's crazy um yeah so so that was that was interesting but um one i don't know any other any other kind of big winners i mean i just watched the second half of the rockets uh and lou williams uh d- destroying boogie <laughs> cousins and the new orleans pelicans um, so Lou Williams already looking a good pickup for Houston. I'm sure, uh, I, I'm not that worried about Boogie putting up numbers. He, he put up big numbers, uh, in his first game, but you obviously do kind of wonder if a Pelicans team with no guards, uh, how successful they're going to be in the Western conference this year. One thing I was thinking about throughout the day today was just how important I think culture can be in a franchise. Cause I, I just think, I saw that return for Noel and thought, man, that is just awful. And then you see guys like Matt Moore, Sam Vicini, or Sam Vicini, excuse me, and just throughout the day you saw people like, well, that was his price because there's locker room concerns. Or uh, you see something uh, about Jimmy Butler and maybe not being able to get enough for him, and it's the same thing, like locker room concerns, and you, people are worried about this. And part of it is to me like those organizations are just a mess like that's what happens when your organization is a mess like you can be bad and still be a good organization and and i think for for a while i think this bucks team kind of was that like they they were bad but you know like they try to keep high character guys and i i think a lot of times people can get upset about that like well you got to get these upside guys like even if they have character issues and i'm one of those guys like i two days ago campaign that trading for Boogie Cousins like isn't a bad idea. But I think when teams just kind of throw that to the wind and throw together all these guys that might not work out together or they don't have their organization set up from top to bottom and they don't have guys that kind of keep this all in control, like dudes lose, lose their trade value. Like there's no reason Nerlens Noel should go for that little. But because of... You have this crazy logjam at center. You have all. You have these problems with not trusting the process, trusting the process. You have all just all these things kind of come together and then kill this dude's trade value. And all I could think this morning was, man, like as an organization, you have to have your stuff together. Like you, you can't. It, you can take on maybe one guy that is bad news and two guys maybe but like you have to have a very strong locker room and man just thinking about how little some of these teams got for some of these guys that i think are super talented kind of speaks to that like just organizations being a mess and it, it just kills kind of value and what you can get for guys yeah it's hard i mean you know we, we've talked a fair bit about how you know you, you've mentioned how you really don't know what a first round pick is worth right yeah. and 
I think the the fundamental problem is, you know, we talk a lot about market value for free agents or market value for certain types of assets. But the NBA is is not, you know, the stock market. The NBA is not, you know, a, a you know the kind of liquid market where you know you can just go and and sell something off for close to what it's quote unquote worth, right? There are only thirty teams. Um, we're talking about human beings mm-hmm. who have to play with other players. Um, every team has a different cap situation, different you know dynamics in terms of coaching and ownership and decision making personnel and things like that. So, um, you know, oftentimes. Uh, when you're talking about moving a guy, oftentimes it comes down to, you know, maybe there's only one or two teams that would come close to offering sort of the quote unquote market for that Mm -hmm. guy. Right. And so that's always sort of the challenge too. And I think, you know, uh, one player gets signed for too much money, you know, and then uh, that becomes like a benchmark for, you know, it's like Timo Mozgov getting signed for whatever it was, 16 million a year on day one of free agency last year. And then all of a sudden, like, that's the reference point every time the center signs for a lot. It's like, well, Mozgov got 16 million. You know, yeah. it's like you sign Plumley for 13 million. Well, Mozgov got, well, you know, <laughs> just because one asshole signed Timothy, Mo- Timothy Mozgov to 16 million doesn't mean you have to do it too. Correct. Right. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's really interesting sort of how these things evolve. And I think the challenge is, you know, we saw in Philly, if, if you draft a bunch of guys who all play the same position and can't, coexist just because of the types of players they are and Okafor obviously the the type of player he is stylistically in the modern NBA not fitting um it's tough Mm -hmm. it's really tough to get that quote-unquote you know market value that you think uh you're deserved and and, you know in theory if a guy's this great value then there should be multiple teams bidding and it shouldn't matter if you don't have you know quote-unquote leverage you know because the guy isn't playing or whatever it might be but I think realistically we see that that's not how the NBA works. And, you know, when teams sense that another team doesn't have leverage, then everybody probably gets a little bit emboldened <laughs> to not make a great offer, right? Yeah. And, you know, look at look at Boogie, another guy who teams, everybody just kind of looked around and was like, man, I'm kind of getting cold feet. I don't really know if I want to deal with this mm-hmm. guy either. And, you know, next thing you know, he gets traded for a package that seems like a bad deal, but probably was about as good as as anybody was going to you know offer up for him yeah it's just it's just kind of funny to think that character really does kind of matter and uh the right situation kind of matters and i'm a big believer in if you put talent together on a roster like it'll work but sometimes that's just not the case Uh, sometimes it really does matter how well everything fits together and it does matter how how well these guys' personalities fit together and um, just what kind of people they are. And uh, it's just weird to think that it should be simple, get the most talent and everything will be okay. And sometimes that's just not the case. And um, I think you kind of saw that in the last week or so, that sometimes that's just not how it works out. Um, But it it was an interesting trade deadline. I'm trying to think any other winners. I think, like you said, the Rockets getting the Williams, that's a big one. Um, just kind of being able to go out there and have a bench that probably doesn't not going to score at the same rate as your, your starters in Houston, but score at a very rapid clip, and that's going to help out. Like if the, if the bench can get close to or get closer to the extreme insane uh, offensive production as the starters with Harden have, then all of a sudden the Rockets are probably a, a really true contender in the Western conference. And that's big uh, Mavs getting Noel for cheap. 
I think that's a major win. Any other winners you're thinking of, Frank? You know, I actually, a lot of people are bemoaning, you know, the Celtics once again, not doing anything after being the focal point of, of so much speculation. And I just, I just raised my hand. My view on the Celtics, I don't really know. I don't really know that they need to, to do anything quite yet. Um, and again, I mean, I, I'm as annoyed as anyone about how the Celtics always seem to leak stuff about other team star players without ever really seeming to leak anything about who they'll have to give up among their, their players. And I think the risk they're running is that guys like Avery Bradley and Isaiah Thomas are nearing the need to give them big paydays, which, you know, suddenly will affect their value. Certainly Isaiah probably is, you know, a lock to stay there for a while. But um, a guy like Bradley was on a, an amazing contract the last, last few years. And if you just never move him, then, you know, again, okay, well, he's going to want a lot more money next time. And Marcus Smart is going to want a big extension at some point. And, you know, the longer you defer this, I think the lower the value is of those guys. But I don't know, fundamentally, I mean, you know, everybody, while everybody else is sort of planning to, to optimize for the next couple of years, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm jealous of the Celtics. They've got all these picks. I mean, they can just sort of like, I think, ride it out. Maybe they're not going to contend for a championship in the next year or two. But if they can get their picks right, which, let's be honest, they haven't always done, um, they could be set up, you know, for the next 10 or 15 years, uh, which, in the grand scheme of things, isn't a bad place to be. That's crazy, Frank. T- 10 <laughs> to 15 years? I don't, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to curse right now, but are you effing kidding me? 10 to 15 years? How, do you, how, how can you even think about planning 10 to 15 years down the road? Like the Bucks have Giannis and Jabari, and you think, you know what? We're pretty, we're pretty well set for the next two or three years. Oh, Jabari tore his ACL once. Hey, Jabari came back. You know what? Maybe we are set for the next two or three years. Oh, Jabari tore his ACL again. Like you can't plan that far down the road. Like that's not how the NBA works. Like that's never been how it works. There's so much <laughs> roster turnover. Like this isn't this isn't the St. Louis Cardinals like sweeping in and just continuing to have a great baseball team. Like. That's not how basketball works. That's not, that's not how the NBA works. Like, come on. <laughs> They're going to be stealing those sweet Nets picks for the next couple of years still. I mean, like, I, d- don't know, get if, me wrong. I'm like, just saying if they hang on cool. to them. If- like, they, they're totally cool. But I just don't think you can have a, this insane long-term vision for an NBA basketball team. No, that's fair. And I mean, again, like 10, 15 years, obviously, I'm, I'm exaggerating. But in terms of, like, time horizons, the Celtics are in kind of a different place than a lot of teams just because – they're good right now. And again, are they good enough to win a title? I don't think so. Not in the near term. Um, but they're going to be really good for the next few years just based on who's on the roster now. And they have a chance to really kind of be able to transition from the guys that are making them good now to potentially the, the sort of next generation of young talent. I mean, you know, I don't know if Jalen Brown's going to be a great player, but he's had a good start to his career. Uh, and then you add in the fact that, you know, you've got potentially a top, you know, three, four pick coming up in this draft and potentially a similar deal uh, a year from now with uh, that other Brooklyn pick. So um, it's the, the Celtics are sitting pretty. I don't know. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Especially, I would not have traded those picks for Paul George, to be honest, because with all the talk about Paul George potentially wanting to go to L.A. eventually and only having a little over a year left on his deal, he's not the guy. Jimmy Butler, with given his contract is longer, I could have seen going all in on Jimmy Butler giving up, you know, let's say one or two, even maybe two of those net picks for Jimmy Butler. Um, but Paul George, I, I wouldn't have bothered with with that if I was the Celtics. So I don't know. And it, by the same token, like 
I think trading Jimmy Butler for the Bulls is really just an admission that you don't know how to build around Jimmy Butler, who's <laughs> an awesome player. Yeah. Um, like most teams are trying to get Jimmy Butler. Like the Celtics have actually been run pretty well, so they want a Jimmy Butler. The Bulls, who knows what the hell the Bulls are doing? They're like, ah, <laughs> screw it. We can't use this great player. Just <laughs> send him someplace else for parts and you know whatever. So, um, so I don't know. It's it's uh it's an interesting time, but um, so here's a question. So the Bucks now have an open roster spot. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be totally honest with all of you. Frank and I recorded a. 10 I would say 10 minute discussion about who the Bucks should use for their open roster spot and we got done and we saw that the Bucks figured out who they were going to use their roster spot on and it is we predicted it didn't I forget did we predicted it perfectly right uh, I, I can't remember I, I'm pretty we did? I'm pretty sure we this was a name we brought no I'm just kidding we did not bring up this name um <laughs> it is uh Axel Tupan uh, he is French, and, and we're thinking that's the, the right pronunciation of it. Um, he played for the Raptors 905. It's just a 10-day contract, um, and I quickly reached out to D-League at expert Chris Reichert. Reichert? I'm not 100% sure how to say it, um, but you should follow him if you have any questions about the D-League, you want to know anything about the D-League. He is just the d-league sage um and chris you can be found at at chris c-h-r-i-s underscore reichert uh r-e-i-c-h-e-r-t um just ask him for a quick scouting report he says uh tupana is a six seven athletic wing he shoots the three decently uh 36 percent since january he played for denver last season and he's a very good defender frank i know you were just looking at some highlights anything else any other thoughts what do you got uh, i mean i think i now have a comprehensive view of everything about axel <laughs> based, on, based on the three minutes of youtube highlights that i've just watched um <laughs> you know he seems like a kind of crafty um like he didn't necessarily seem like explosive athletic type guy but um pretty crafty uh weirdly i was watching his first few highlights were all him attacking the rim using his left hand and then he finally saw. I finally saw him shoot a jump shot, and he shoots jumpers right-handed. But he hmm. seems to like prefer finishing with his left hand almost. So he'll fit right in on the weirdo Bucks roster where um, John Henson says he's right-handed, but does everything better left-handed. <laughs> and Malcolm Brogdon, did you know Malcolm Brogdon is left-handed? In, uh, he writes left-handed, but he shoots, plays basketball right-handed. I did not know that. Yeah, and Greg Monroe is actually right-handed in like daily activities but shoots and shoots does left everything left-handed huh. so anyway um tupan is 24 years old um in case you were curious um so a little bit younger guy with like i mean six seven two ten um maybe that's a guy that gets a second 10 day maybe it's a guy that the bucks end up liking um we'll see it's always strange with 10 days how much of an opportunity these guys get and kind of how much they can be be able to kind of expose their skills to a coaching staff in 10 days. So uh, we'll see, but that there's our answer. The Bucks aren't going after uh, a well-established veteran. They, I don't even know what other things we said, um, but there's your answer. Axel Tupan is your newest Milwaukee Buck. Um, and I, I wonder, I, I would assume he'll be ready to go for Friday, but maybe he won't be. Um, but we'll see there. 
And yeah, that's going to be it for us on Lockdown Bucks. Important oh, question. No. Important question, Eric. Given he's French, will Axel Tupin inherit Damien Inglis's nickname of French Toast? I don't know if we have an answer tonight, but I put it to you and the rest of our audience. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of hoping not, because I don't know if French Toast was a nickname that had any sort of endearment attached to it. Um, so <laughs> Not really, let, not a lot. Right? I don't think so. So, let, so let's hope not. Um, but that's going to be it for us. This has been Locked on Bucks. We're getting... This is the second time this week we've had news break while we're while we're trying to record. So uh, hopefully we covered it and gave you at least a little information on the newest buck, Axel Tupan. Uh, that'll be it for us. We will talk to you on Monday after the Milwaukee Bucks play the Utah Jazz on Friday. Um, so that's going to be it. That's Frank Madden. I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you on Monday.